0: and uh, just tell you a little bit about what's going to be happening, and maybe get you started on the right track, and kind of wet your whistle to be here tonight. So, uh, again, we're entered the due year, 2013, and tonight's Vision Night. Of course, we want you to catch the vision, because let's face it, we've got a great, great work to do here at Community Baptist Temple, and it requires everyone, everyone combined, working together, to make it happen. And so, anyway, Vision Night 2013. So uh... we had a number of blessings this year in our church and of course uh... in two thousand twelve souls that were saved we saw two hundred and one saved this year we had seventy six adults twenty two teens hundred and three children and so we were glad about that that's always exciting one number that's a little bit disheartening though is the baptisms notice we only had twenty three baptisms that's not too good for us and uh... that's down significantly from last year and uh... Listen, like they say in America, there's always reasons for everything, right? Is that what they say in America? But anyway, um, nonetheless, we need to change some things in that area. We're going to do that. We want to work harder at trying to get people in those baptistries, in those baptistry waters. But nonetheless, we still saw 23 baptized. We're excited about that, happy for those 23. And so we had 201 saved, 23 baptized. We knocked this year on 21,500 doors, door knocking, our door-to-door soul winning program and then we had operation saturation where we had fourteen thousand three hundred twenty seven fires passed out in two and a half hours and so we're excited about that too and again we had a great group that came out that day and uh... It was well organized and we hit them and boy it moved quickly and uh... the lord blessed of course and uh... we were excited about that also we had a number of uh, events and days throughout the year that uh, afforded us opportunity to meet new people have visitors in our services and we were certainly glad and gracious to have them with us And uh, as a result, some of them are here today, so you may be one of them, but we're glad you're here. And uh, again, all of this is orchestrated for the purpose of reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so anyway, we had a number of wonderful things that took place this year. How could we uh, uh, move past this without talking about, of course, our teen rally and our tent meeting and a number of other functions that took place this year? And uh, each and every one of them played a significant role in the success of Community Baptist Temple in 2012. But here we are, 2013, and we're moving forward. The Bible says, Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. We're well aware that that passage pertains primarily to the Word of God, speaks directly to the Word of God. But we also must be uh, very aware and uh, conscious of the fact that where there is no vision, even in the area of a ministry or in a marriage, or in a relationship of any kind. If there's no vision for that, if no one sees the future, if no one is looking ahead, then we're in real trouble. We're going to perish. And so in this ministry, we want to look ahead as well. And uh, as a result, we want a vision, a vision of what's going to transpire and take place. As a matter of fact, William Jennings Bryan made this statement. He said, Destiny is not a matter of chance, but of choice. Not something to wish for, but to attain. But to attain. We also read uh, over here by... Uh, Michelangelo wait Michelangelo yeah Michelangelo yeah I thought that was two words I guess that wasn't that's one word isn't it the greatest danger for most of us is not that our aim is too high and we miss it but that it's too low and we reach it and that's something so what we find here is that uh, we need a vision and we want to reach out we want to try to get uh, further we want to try to grasp more we want to try to go places we've never gone So as a result of that, we're begging God for a renewed vision. We want God to renew our vision. We're not talking about changing how the gospel's presented. We know that the gospel is going to be the same from the beginning to the end. We understand that. We know that there are things that we're going to continue to do. We're going to remain faithful in in standards. We're going to remain faithful in the Word of God. We're going to remain faithful in, in church service and church attendance and doing the things that we know God's Word speaks about. But we want God to give us a renewed vision, how to accomplish things and maybe how to stretch ourselves and how to reach out just a little bit further to reach more people with the gospel and influence more lives and more families. <clears throat> it's been said that... The status quo is Latin for the mess we're in. (laughs) Status quo is Latin for the mess we're in. Well, we don't want to be the status quo then, do we? We certainly don't. And uh, that little picture over there says if you can't read it in the back, it says, I couldn't read it if I was in the third row. But now leaving status quo, the place that never changes. You know what? <clears throat> I The older I get, the less I like change. I'll be honest with you. I like things to be pretty consistent. the same. But you know what? Change is imperative. It's important. It's necessary if we're going to continue to expand and to accomplish the will and the work of God. And so the status quo can be a very dangerous place to be. <clears throat> Excuse me. Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs of Apple made this statement. It's kind of interesting that he made this statement now as we look back. He said, Remembering that I'll be dead soon is the most important tool I've ever encountered to help me make the big choices in life. Because almost everything all external expectations, all pride, all fear of embarrassment or failure these things just fall away in the face of death, leaving only what is truly important. Isn't that amazing? I like what he says, remembering that I'll be dead soon is the most important tool I've ever encountered to help me make the big choices in life. Let me tell you, you know what, as a child of God, whether or not Steve Jobs knows it or not, he, he really was speaking of or he, he, he possessed a biblical outlook in life. In the sense that when we keep in mind that death is always on the horizon and it could be at any moment, We need to invest our lives in areas that even we're uncomfortable at times, recognizing and realizing that eternity awaits us. We live for tomorrow, not just today. Someone says, yeah, but you're supposed to live, you know, uh, uh, today. I understand that, but I'm going to live today as though I may be in heaven tomorrow. And so everything I do is to prepare me and to ultimately provide for me in the future. Uh, If I was going to um, invest money in a bank today, I would look for a bank that's giving the best interest rate. There's not a whole lot of them, let's face it, if any. But the reality is is that when I make an investment in the bank in heaven, the yield is astronomical. It is out of this world. And so there's never, never a time in my life that I give my time, my energy, my talents, my finances to the Lord that I will not receive manyfold. Steve Jobs had it right. He couldn't stay at the status quo because he, he realized, I can't let fear, I can't let uh, uh, the, the, the um, what's he put it here, um, pride, um, any kind of external expectation even to keep me from accomplishing what I know needs to be done. Because in light of death, really, none of those things really matter. You know, know something? Our fears don't matter a whole lot either in light of death. And so I just want to encourage you to think about what you're going to do in your life this year, to have a renewed vision in your relationship with the Lord and to go forward for Him. Now, again, as a church, we're moving forward. Oh, look at that gentleman. Looks like a lot of the guys that work around the carousel. (laughs) You guys know it's the truth. But anyway, the the status quo is dangerous because... By changing nothing, nothing changes. Remember earlier I said our baptisms looked kind of weak? Well, if we don't change something, we're not going to get any different result. Now, again, we're not talking about changing major doctrine. We're not talking about doctrinal issues. We're talking about maybe how we apply those doctrines and those truths. The question may be posed, but what if we fail or falter? That's a good question, isn't it? You know that the, re- the, the biggest reason why people fail to accomplish things in their life is because they never try? You know why? They're afraid of failing. Do you know why most students do not do well in school or at least live up to their potential? Because they're afraid of failing. They're afraid of giving their best and coming up short. So that fear keeps them from reaching their potential. May I say that often fear keeps us as a ministry and a, and a church, if we're not careful, it'll keep us from also reaching our potential. In this case, but what if we fail or falter? Even if you stumble, you're still moving forward. I like that. Wayne Gretzky once said, You miss 100% of the shots, you never take. You miss 100% of the shots. You never take. Wayne Gretzky, by the way, is a very famous hockey player. Our efforts will pave the way for those behind us. A quote, it really has no real author, but it's, may the bridges we burn light the way for those behind us. I modified it, so I guess I'm the author. May the bridges we burn light the way for those behind us. We cannot be afraid to move away from the status quo and go forward for Jesus Christ. And so, where do we go from here in 2013? What will be some of the keys to our success if we will succeed at all? Join me tonight at 6 p.m. as we unveil our new theme at Vision Night 2013. Isn't that great? Just like a TV commercial, isn't it? Receive a 2013 ministry calendar beginning tonight, so if you don't get it tonight, you'll get it next week, but starting tonight, we're going to be passing out those 2013 calendars as well as going forward from here saying, now what steps are we going to take, what kind of things will we do this coming year, 2013, to truly bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. So anyway, that's the presentation. Did you like, I'm just kind of curious, did, did you like how technical our screen is? How, the, uh, new technology and how it works so well these days here. The Community Baptist, did you see that? Yeah. It takes two paid staff to get that down. But anyway, it's pretty neat, isn't it? All right, well, that's it, fellas. Okay, that's good. And uh, we're going to go ahead and move along here. Uh, let, me, let me give you a couple things here. I tell you what, I'm going to do just a verse, of song. I'm going to flip the lights on. That might be a good idea, huh? So tonight, we're going to be uh, going through that tonight at 6 o'clock. And uh, I know you'll be glad you're here. Hey, it does go up though, huh? That's good. Oh, that's all right, Ms. Smith. I'm good. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna use a piano. Everybody look at her. <coughs> yeah, they even clap for you. That's wonderful, isn't it? Aren't you glad you stood up? That's wonderful. All right. Ms. Smith loves the attention, I'm sure. Okay. All right. Well, let me just do a verse of Amazing Grace as we kick things off today, all right? On this one, right? You know what, maybe I'm going to do a different one. I like this other song better. For today at least. i got to find it here.
1: There it is. The gulf that separated me From Christ my Lord It was so vast, the crossing high could never ford From where I was to his domain It seems so far I cried, dear Lord I cannot come to where you are could not come to where he was he came to me that's why he died on Calvary when i could not come to where he was, he came to me.
0: Don't you love that song? I like that. Somebody says, wow, I, you practice it? No, I, I come in here all the time, everyone. I just get up here and start bellowing out songs. It's fun. Nobody's around. I just have a good old time. You'd be amazed what I sing in here. Well, I mean, not what I sing, but how I sing. I sing. I'm like, you know, it's, why do you think I can moonwalk so well? But anyway, no, I'm joking, I, you know, was, whoo, you know, but anyway, no, I, all right, well, that's, that didn't, so my dad would say, did that come out right? I didn't, no, obviously not. Okay, Acts chapter one tonight, uh, this morning, Acts chapter one, I'm excited about tonight, again, there's a number of other slides, probably another, oh, I don't know, probably 20 more slides that we'll share tonight. The whole service is going to be focused on our vision tonight. We're going to spend some time looking through it, and so we'll have a a PowerPoint presentation tonight that emphasizes our vision entering into 2013, and we're excited about that. All right, today I want to kick off the new year with a message that kind of goes along with those things. I mean, we're going to talk today about the response of his return, a message I've entitled The Response of His Return. And I want you to look again at Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. And uh, we read these passages, uh, I guess, in a message a few weeks ago, I think, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know if it was Sunday morning, Sunday night, or Wednesday. I can't remember. But Acts chapter 1, we noted these at some point in the message. But I want to use these as the kickoff point. I want to use them as the, the catalyst for our message this morning. Notice it says in Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. I'll get to it, fellas. Sorry about that. I always forget these mics. Geniuses today, aren't we? All right, Acts chapter 1, verse 9. And when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, You men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, Shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Again, in verse 11, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Up to this point, they had, been, they had witnessed a number of things, these disciples. They had witnessed the promised Messiah. I mean, in the Old Testament, the Bible had told us that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, God in flesh, would come. But not only would the Messiah come, but also they noted and witnessed the powerful message that he provided. He came preaching the word of God. His message was convicting. His message was like none other they had ever heard. As a matter of fact, he taught them, they said, as one having authority and not as the scribes. So everywhere Jesus went, the Messiah, he went with a very powerful message. And he preached repentance, and he preached forsaking sin, and he preached salvation. And boy, they were confounded by it and convicted by it. But also they noted the phenomenal miracles that, were, that this Messiah, this, this amazing man was performing. There he healed the lame. He healed the blind and even raised the dead. Jesus Christ performing phenomenal miracles in the midst of these men. But they also witnessed the perverse men, those that ultimately hung him on a cross, those that condemned him to death, even though he was not worthy of dying. These perverse men came up with a very mocking way of humiliating the master, covering his head and beating him and hitting him and plucking his beard and ultimately putting a crown of thorns upon his head. They whipped him and spat upon him. They made fun of him. They maligned and mistreated him. They ultimately led him to Calvary where there he hung on a cross and he died. But he was the perfect master Sinless, perfect, and he became a sinless sacrifice on your behalf and mine. These men who stood there that day on that mound as Jesus prepared to make his way to heaven, not only saw and experienced and witnessed the promised Messiah, his powerful message, his phenomenal miracles, not only did they see the way that mankind treated him so perversely, not only did they see the perfect master hanging on the cross on their behalf but they saw the proof of a god who lives for he was buried and 3 days later he rose again 3 days later he come out of the tomb What are you looking for Jesus he's not here For he's risen as he said. And now he stands before these disciples. And he prepares to make his way to his heavenly father. He begins to ascend on a cloud. And the disciples weary of their future. Worried about their their next step. Stand there gazing upon him as he goes into heaven. What will we do now? I'm sure their hearts are thinking. The angels speak. Say ye men of Galilee. Why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven. Shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. May I say that the truth of Jesus Christ's return. Was so important and so essential to the success of the Christian life. That even it was included in a number of other passages in the New Testament. They were looking at Jesus as he went to heaven. And the angel said he's coming again. And that message, that reality, that truth. Ultimately impacted these men profoundly. In First Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 16. His return is described. It says, for the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Again, His return is described there in First Thessalonians, as the Apostle Paul makes his plea to the Thessalonians. Thessalonians, excuse me. Then we see His return detailed over in the Book of Revelation. And I think it's important to realize that in 1 Thessalonians, the passage speaks of the first phase of his return. When the angels said, hey, he's coming back as he came, they're saying, listen, not only were they saying he's coming back on a cloud to the earth, but at some point he would come back only part way and call up the saints. So in Thessalonians, we see where we're getting called out. Hey, that seven-year tribulation will then kick in. Then the Antichrist will rise to power. Then he will begin to persecute the Jew and anyone who takes the mark of the beast. And for seven years, there will be havoc on earth. Until Jesus Christ not only comes into the clouds, but he literally descends on a cloud to the earth as he left in Acts chapter 1. We see that once again detailed in Revelation 19.11. The Bible says, And I saw heaven open and a white And behold, a white horse and he that sat upon him called faithful and true and in righteousness he does judge and make war. He's returning and when he does, he's going to wreak havoc on the the, the devil. He's going to go ahead and make right the wrongs. The writer, of course, in 1911 is identified as none other than Jesus Christ himself. For in Revelation 1916 it says, And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. When Jesus Christ returns, he is not returning a baby in a, a manger. He's coming back, the line of the tribe of Judah, and he is going to literally take what is rightfully his. There he's going to rule on the throne of David. See, the realization of this truth, this reality that Jesus Christ is coming again, that truth in the early church impacted and influenced the disciples in a very profound way as it should us today. And this morning I want to share four scriptural ways that that truth impacted them for the cause of Christ and how it ought to impact you and I even today. So let's have a word of prayer and then we're going to talk about how the return of Jesus Christ influenced and impacted the early church and how it ought to impact and influence us the response to his return. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, for your leadership today. Speak to our hearts. We need you. Fill me. Let me be your mouthpiece. Be with your people. And may our hearts be stirred and encouraged. We look for you to do your work in our lives this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Number one, how did that reality of the return of Christ affect them? It persuaded them to worship. It persuaded them to worship. We start talking about worship, we can talk about a number of things, but let me break it down into two basic sides. First of all, it persuaded them to worship by fruitfully communing. You say, what do you mean? I'm talking about communing personally with Jesus Christ. I'm talking about having a relationship with the Lord Not just coming to church, not just reading our Bibles, not just praying, but literally having a walk, a relationship with Jesus Christ. The early church, because of the reality of his return in their mind and in their hearts, literally had a fruitful communion with Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 4 verse 13 speaks of one such situation. It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. Of course, we know they were the disciples, two of the disciples of Jesus Christ. It says, but when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived, they perceived, now listen, what they perceived, that they were crazy guys, that they were lunatics, that they were religious zealots, that they were fanatical. No, they perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. Thank you. Hold on. They marveled. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. They're like looking at him going, these are ignorant and unlearned men. And yet we're listening to their message. We're watching their their mannerisms. We're we're taking in what they're saying. These are ignorant and unlearned men. But I'm marveling as I watch them and as I listen to them because... Obviously they've been with Jesus. They're so bold. The child of God is not exhorted to read their Bible and pray. Alone but to fruitfully read and pray. You know, you know, we go through our life, if we're not careful, and we say, well, I've read the Bible, and it, it just doesn't seem to help me. That's because you're not fruitfully reading. That's because, see, you can read this book till the cows come home and never once get up with any burden lifted off your shoulders. Do you know that you can go to church every Sunday, day in, day out, and walk out the same as you came in? It is up to you, what you glean, and how you grow in this Christian life. And the reality is is that there's no gleaning and there is no growing outside of Jesus Christ himself. You can go ahead and keep your, your read-through-the-Bible-in-a-year schedules. You can go ahead and, and be a, a, a top-notch, um, get, get, I guess you want to call perfect attendee. But the reality is, is until you get a hold of Jesus Christ yourself, until when you get alone with God in that prayer closet of yours, when you finally find that secret place and you reach out to Jesus and he reaches out to you, until that happens, you will be miserable, even as a believer. I'm so tired of hearing the, 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 the people tell me why, why it doesn't work anymore. It works. The problem is, is that Jesus is not included. Listen, you can, have, you can go through the motions all day long and there's still no relationship. I can prove it to you. All you have to do is look at over 50% of marriages in America today. And there is a marriage, but there is no relationship. And that's why they break up, and that's why they go their separate ways, and that's why they seek after other lovers, because they have no relationship. And if we had the relationship with Jesus Christ we ought to have, we wouldn't be seeking after the world the way we seek after it. We wouldn't be going after everything else that the world is instead of what Jesus wants for us. There's no relationship. The early church, because of the return of Christ, was persuaded to worship fruitfully, fruitfully communing with Jesus Christ. God intended that our worship with Him as believers be advantageous and life-changing. It ought to be a blessing to go to God's Word. It ought to be an encouragement to think that tomorrow I get to do it again. Ought to, we ought to be waiting on pins and needles at the edge of our seat. Oh God, I can't wait till I get the opportunity to get alone with you again. But I dare say that's not the case in probably 80% of believers' lives. And because of that, we see the weak need faith across this country that is allowing the world, the devil, to take over. Listen, we have Jesus Christ. Or at least we should. Oh, He might be in us, but is He expressed through us? Do we meet with Him? Hold on. To worship fruitfully. Fruitfully communing. But then also to worship by fellowshipping corporately. We see that because of the return of Christ, these saints were persuaded to worship by fellowshipping corporately. In Acts chapter 2, verse 41 and 42, we read, (coughs) Excuse me. Then they... That gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about three thousand souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. You know, that sounds a lot like church to me. Just sounds a lot like church. You know, because Jesus Christ was coming back, these disciples and those believers were persuaded, the early church was persuaded to, to fellowship corporately, to come together and be encouraged in the Word of God and, and to be encouraged by one another. You know, there's no one here that's an island. And if we're going to remain steadfast, if we're going to be unmovable amidst, in the midst of this perverse and sinful world in which we live then we must find fellowship. We must be instructed and we must be inspired among the fellowship of believers. No one can successfully stand alone in this world. No one. That's why Jesus Christ makes the church so imperative and important. He died for it. And he wants fellowship with you personally and he wants fellowship corporately for you. That's why over in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, he makes this very bold statement. It wasn't in my notes, but let me turn there quickly. In Ephesians chapter 4, he says, verse 11, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. No one, no one, no one is perfected without God's house. Well, I don't need the church. Yes, you do. I don't know who told you that, but it wasn't God and it wasn't his word. It was the devil who must have been or your flesh. But you and I need God's house. And every time we think about Jesus Christ coming back, every time it comes to our mind, we ought to be more persuaded than ever that I need to be in the house of God. I need to be preparing myself for His return. That reality persuaded them to worship. But number two, it prompted them to witness. It prompted them to witness. It prompted them to witness in the fullness of power. Look, if you will, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. What a great passage this is. Right off the bat, they're instructed by the Lord Jesus Christ before he even makes his way out of this world to join or to sit at the right hand of the Father. Notice they're admonished here. He goes on to say to them, "He's going to pass down their mission, and he's also going to give them the means by which to accomplish it. But ye, verse 8, chapter 1 of Acts, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Notice again, but ye shall receive power after that. The Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses. Hey, the power is given not so that you can be a most influential CEO. A very successful businessman or woman. That's not why you've been given that power. I'm not saying that God can't use people in those positions, and I think that everybody that's going to work a job ought to try to make as much money as they can in order to support God's work. You heard me. Everybody ought to try to make as much as they can to support God's work. When you start trying to make as much as you can to support your own work, it'll ruin everything in your life. When you start begging God, God, I want a promotion so that I can... Get in that position, not so that I can be glorified, but that you can be exalted, so that I can ultimately influence more people for Christ, and I can ultimately get in a position where I can even do more, give more, and be more for you. You'd be surprised what God will do with your life. See, we want influence in our lives. We want promotion in our life selfishly. It's for me, for mine. God didn't leave you here as a believer for you and yours. He left you here for him. thank you preacher we're so excited today about those message that message it's a wonderful thing to hear the truth i love it it's making me free today <laughs> i hope so to witness in the fullness of power notice again the power the holy ghost when's the last time you asked god the holy ghost to fill you with power so that you could witness to somebody about jesus I'm talking to everybody in the crowd that names the name of Christ. Anybody that says they've been saved. When is the last time you asked the Lord for the fullness of the power of the Holy Ghost so that you could more effectively witness for Jesus Christ? I'm, I'm telling you that that's why they were given the power they were. And when he went up to heaven, I mean to tell you, they were, because he knew he was coming back, They were they were they were prompted to witness, but they also realized they needed the fullness of power, and it came from the heaven above. Not only that, but they were prompted to witness in the face of persecution. Turn, if you will, to Acts chapter eight. Acts chapter eight, verse one. They, how do you how do you be a good witness when your family's being murdered? How as you as a husband continue to be a good witness and a, a, a faithful witness when you know that the authorities are going to track you down, haul you off to prison, and possibly hurt and harm your family? And if they don't, your family will still be destitute because they have no provider. How do you do that? The only way you can do that is whenever you get your eyes off of today and you look toward heaven. And you realize there's an eternity that awaits and there's a bigger, bigger Uh, a bigger reason to live than just today there's an eternity that awaits hey you know what they kept thinking about Jesus Christ coming back and they knew when he comes back he's going to establish his kingdom they knew when he comes back that ultimately they're going to receive their reward they knew when he came back he would make all the wrongs right and that my friend prompted them to witness in the face of persecution Acts chapter 8, verse 1 through 4, and Saul was consenting unto his death, the death of Stephen, that is. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc on the church, entering into every house and hauling men and women, committed them to prison. Can you imagine your children being left destitute? On the, on, just hoping that some family member did not get hauled off to jail so they could watch your children instead of them starving and dying. Someone says, that's not what God would ever ask me to do. Friends, you haven't read the Bible. Friends, you have not read Fox's Book of Martyrs. You have not read about the, the people who gave their life so that today you could sit in the comfort of this auditorium, and it is comfortable. You can sit here today in the comfort of this auditorium And receive the message you're hearing today. Freedom always costs a price. Mothers, wives would tell their husbands to remain faithful. Don't you dare recant. God will care for us. Children said, Daddy, don't stop being faithful. as Their daddies were being burned on the stake. They knew what God's grace was. They knew how to live in His grace and they knew how to die with His grace. Therefore they, that were scattered abroad, went everywhere preaching the word. They went everywhere preaching the word. Even in the face of persecution, they went everywhere preaching the word. Why? Because they kept an eye on heaven and knew He was coming back. It's hard to... To stay pure in this world. But it's even harder to stay pure in this world as a believer. When we do not remember that he's coming back. That he could come back today. He could come back this very moment. He could return today in the clouds. Call us up out of here. That's why I want my my family saved. That's why I want my relatives saved. That's why I want people born again. Because when he comes back. I won't get any other opportunity to do that. I, I, I am just totally dumbfounded how people can say they're Christians, they've been saved, but they never witness to their own children. I don't know how that happens. Or how they live their life selfishly and never once take thought that that child will end up in hell if they don't do something about it. I'm amazed at that. I understand that we don't always live right and do right. But as a child of God, there's this burden in our heart that should exist. Knowing that he could return, we need to reach them while we can. I don't want them to go through the tribulation. I don't want them to endure that. I don't want them to ever have to decide whether they're going to take a mark. mark of the beast or not. It persuaded them to worship. It prompted them to witness. Number three, it provoked them to work. It provoked them to work. In John chapter 9, verse 4, the Lord Jesus says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Do you know what the early church worked to do? They worked to reproduce. They worked to reproduce. They wanted to make disciples. Make disciples. How do you make a disciple? You win somebody to Christ. Someone says, oh, you don't win nobody to Christ. Duh. We understand that. I, I don't have the power to save anybody, but I can certainly, I can certainly get their hand and place it in his hand. That's right, amen. I can certainly get to them and say, you need Jesus. Here he is, I want to introduce him to you. Will you be willing to take his hand? I can do that much. And when we're making disciples, what we're doing is we're taking their hand and we're seeking to place it into the hand of Jesus by giving them the gospel, the simple message that Jesus Christ died on a cross. He was buried and he rose again. And all who will call upon him shall be saved. And then we take them and we begin to teach them and train them in the word of God. We make it a point to come alongside and to mentor them. We don't just turn them over to the staff. We don't just say, too bad, you're on your own. We don't just say, well, I did my part. No. We say, hey, I can't wait to see you Sunday. That was a great decision you made. Matter of fact, you need a ride, I'll come by and pick you up. Oh, I, I, don't, I don't know how you trust somebody like that. I just, he's just my, my cousin. <laughs> I wouldn't let my cousin ride with us. What? Are you kidding me? Get them in God's house. Make them disciples. That's what the early church did. They said, Jesus Christ is coming back and I have to both be fit myself and I need to make everybody around me as fit as possible when he comes back because then eternity is going to be basically kicking off and I want them right with God. Making disciples. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. What do you think about A mother who has a child, a baby, and throws it in a dumpster. What do you think about her? Good gal, sharp girl, decent person. You'd probably say, Oh, if I could only get my hands on her. You know something? When we lead people to Jesus Christ and we don't follow up with them, we've done the same thing. They're babes in Christ, they don't know how to eat. They don't know how to drink. All they know how to do is scream, cry, and you know what else? And it ain't pretty. Includes diapers. Folks, listen, they need you. They need you. And you know what? The return of Jesus Christ, the return of Jesus Christ is what caused this early church to be provoked to work, to go after people, to make disciples. And then they ordained preachers. They didn't stop with just making disciples, getting people saved and training them up in the work of God and the word of God. No, they said, man, we've got to reproduce. We've got to produce what we have here. And so they went ahead and ordained preachers in Titus 1.5. The Bible says, for this cause left I thee in creed, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and order elders in every city. Order elders in every city. That's talking about pastors as I had appointed thee. He says, I'm sending you out to find them faithful young men that have been raised up in the work of God, that have been discipled and have been trained, that have a heart for God and a calling of God on their life, and ordain them into the ministry. Why? So they could start churches and pastor churches. Reproducing. See, it doesn't stop with just coming to church and sitting in a pew and reading a Bible and just praying. No, we're reproducing ourselves and ultimately reproducing this right here. Community Baptist Temple is not a success until Community Baptist Temple is starting other little baby churches. And thank God we have a few of them around, but let me tell you, we need a bunch more. That's what... The reality of the return of Christ will do in each of our hearts. It, it will, as, as we've noted already, it, it will provoke us to work. Not to be lazy on the sidelines, but to say, I've got to get in the battle. I've got to be a part of the fight. He's coming back. They work to reproduce, but then they also work to reach the world. To reach the world. In Acts chapter seventeen, turn there if you would. This is a tremendous passage. I mean, a tremendous passage. Acts chapter seventeen, verse one. Beginning in verse one, the Bible says, "Now when they had passed through Amphipolis, 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 Amphipolis." "...and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures." I I like that phrase, as his manner was. It was just normal for him. Verse 3, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered, and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. I want you to notice, again, that he opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. Do do, do you get what he's really saying? What he was telling people is this. None of that upbringing that you had, none of those gods that you embraced, none of those philosophies and beliefs that you were raised with, those ungodly Godless philosophies will do you one bit of good in life. You have no hope without one person, and his name is Jesus. Do you know what the problem sometimes is with us? We think because our family member has a good job, a nice car, a beautiful wife, or a handsome husband. Trust me, handsome, this isn't all it's cracked up to be. But if if, we, if they have those things, you know what we do? We, we in our mind, somehow justify not sharing Christ because they have it pretty good. We say, oh, they're doing all right. Are they? They don't have Christ. Do you realize what the Apostle Paul said here? Opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered. He had to suffer and rise again from the dead. He had to because, see, no house, no car, no wife, no husband, no family, No amount of money in the world can fill the void and emptiness in a heart and a life without Him. And every single person you know, no matter how successful they appear on the outside, no matter how balanced they seem in their life, their family, their, their work, is void and empty and has absolutely zero to look forward to in eternity nothing oh God help us to realize like Paul the apostle did that Christ must needs have suffered and may we also as our manner should be share him with many always notice he goes on to say here verse 4 and some of them believed There's always some that will. And consorted with Paul and Silas. And of the devout Greeks, a great multitude. And of the chief women, not a few, a bunch of them. But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people assaulted the house of jason why because the disciples were in there you know paul was the one who was preaching this resurrected christ and when they found them not verse six they drew jason and certain brethren under the rulers of the city crying these that have turned the world upside down are come hither also <laughs> you imagine that wouldn't that be a wonderful testimony for our church we knock on a door and they go oh great These are the ones that have turned the world upside down for Christ. Wouldn't that be something? You say, I wouldn't want to be a part of that church. I would. I would. I mean, wouldn't that be something uh, uh, to to go down to, to a conference and you run down to a conference and someone says, what church do you attend? We attend this church. Oh, really? I don't have a clue who your pastor is, but I know that church down there is turning the world upside down. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be something? Hey, listen, that's what every believer ought to be doing. Seeking to turn the world upside down for Christ. Because, see, we're going to all the world, aren't we? And this early church, because of Jesus' imminent return, because they always kept their eyes on heaven, because they were always anticipating His coming, they worked to reach the world with the gospel. To win anyone and everyone they could. Finally, last, I have to hurry the reality of his return pushed them to win. It pushed them to win. While riding the ch- at the church in Corinth, the Apostle Paul exhorted the believers to run a race. He said in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. He said, man, if you're gonna, since you're in the race, you might as well run to win. You might as well run to win. Why give it half effort? Why, only, why not go to the practices and why not push yourself during those times? Why not prepare yourself for the race? Hey, listen, you're in it now. Run it to win. You know people who don't run to win? You know. You know I'm talking about those people that are in school that never give it their best. You know that, that Child that doesn't clean their room like they could? Doesn't that bother you when someone could do better, but they just choose not to?
1: Doesn't that bother you?
0: But in our Christian lives, we get comfortable with that philosophy in our own lives. Well, we could reach more people. We could share the gospel more. We could make a bigger impact and influence more lives, but it's good enough. The early church said, listen, he's coming back. I'm I'm going to win. They were pushed to win because of his return. To faithfully stand, to finish strong, all those things were things that they were pushed to do because they anticipated the return of Jesus Christ. After church one day, a little girl had been taught about the second coming. She had heard a preacher talk about how Jesus was coming back and he was going to return and the little girl decided to quiz her mother. She said, "Mommy, do you believe Jesus will come back?" "Yes," said the mother. "Today?" "Yeah. In a few minutes?" "Yes, dear." Mommy, would you comb my hair? Would you comb my hair? Isn't it sad today that a little girl understands that if he's coming back, she needs to be ready to face him? But in America and Christianity today, in all honesty, if we're sincerely being honest in our own hearts many times, we don't even think about it. Let alone comb our hair. See, the reality of Christ's return impacted and influenced the early church in a very profound way. It persuaded them to worship. It prompted them to witness. It provoked them to work, and it pushed them to win. Let's go ahead and put our Bibles away. We're closing now. Like the early church, we too must worship, work, witness, and seek to win. And we'll only be able to do that if we're reminded of His coming. He could come back today. Oh, I know we grow weary of hearing those messages, and we say, I heard it as a kid, and he never came. Beware. See, you just don't know when he'll come, but that's the joy of it. That's the blessing of it all. It inspires us to be ready, and that's exactly why the early church was persuaded to worship and prompted to witness and provoked to work, and pushed to win because he could come at any moment. As we begin 2013, let us ever be conscious of the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. Let's make a commitment to remember that he's coming back every day this year. Every day that you whisper a prayer, say, come Lord, come. You'll be amazed how just a simple prayer like that will keep you focused on right and out of the arms of wrong. Boy, we need to be ready when he comes. And our priorities need to be established and set. And his return helps us to do just that. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there ye may be also. May we move, may this reality move us, motivate us to worship, to work, to witness, and enable us to win the race that God's called us to. Are you saved today? You know for sure heaven's your home. And heed the warning in First John, 2 John 1, 8. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. And if you're lost today, if you don't know for sure heaven's your home, I want to encourage you to say that Jesus Christ died for you. He paid the price for your sin on Calvary. He allowed the nails in his hands and his feet. No one made him die. He willingly took his place on that cross so that your sin could be forgiven. And this morning, you have an opportunity today to accept Jesus Christ into your life, to change the direction you travel, and to find hope, help, that ultimately even leads you to a place called heaven. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time together. Holy Spirit, do what only you can.